Truth Plus Media. With the first pick in the 2008 NBA Draft, the Chicago Bulls select Derrick Rose from the University of Memphis. Rose is on Rondo. Allen over Noah. Oh! Ray Allen has done it again! Inbound quick. Back out to Gordon. Gordon looking. Gordon for three. Bang! Ben Gordon ties the game! What is up, family? Welcome to another episode of Forgotten Seasons. This is your host and creator of Forgotten Seasons, Dylan Dreyfus. Today we are going to Shy City. We're going to relive the Bulls 2009 season with their starting two man, one of the best shooters and scorers of his era, Mr. Ben Gordon. This season is highlighted by an unreal seven game playoff series between the Bulls and the Celtics. Our guy Ben went absolutely crazy in that series, so you'll hear him relive that. But there's a lot more to learn and discuss. We got a rookie D Rose, a young Joe Kim Noah. Captain Kirk Heinrich, Luol Dang, and a lot more. This was a really fun team. We're going to get into it, guys. Remember to rate and review this podcast if you're enjoying it. Those reviews really do go a long way. You can be like our guy, Jet Life Keem, who wrote a review and said, if you are a basketball nerd, this podcast is for you. It deep dives into details a lot of people will usually overlook. An amazing Instagram turn into an even better podcast. This will only grow to become bigger and better five stars every time so thank you to jet life keem for that amazing review and guys if you are liking this be sure to rate and leave a review we would really appreciate it we're going to get into it now 2009 bulls with ben gordon begins right now all right welcome everybody to forgotten seasons welcome to bg ben gordon bg how you doing today man doing well man doing well how you guys doing doing well thank you for joining us so as always, we're going to be reliving one season today. Uh, today is going to be 2008-2009 Chicago Bulls. BG averaged 20 per, points per game this season. They had an epic, epic playoff series against the Celtics. Arguably the best seven-game first-round series of all time. So BG, I, I want to start in 2006-07, sort of the years leading up to it. So that year, you guys win 49 games. You sweep the defending champion Heat. And then going into the next year, 07-08, you guys take a big drop off. You only win 33 games. What what happens sort of in between those two years that changes you guys from playoff team that's in the Eastern Conference semis to then missing the playoffs by a wide margin? Um, that's a good question, man. I, I really don't I really can't put my finger on it. You know, we had um a lot of the same core pieces. Um, but you know, we just, for whatever reason, I, I think we had, we may have had a few injuries the year where we had that drop off, but, um, we had the same core, you know, and then, uh, we were able to come back the next year and have a really good, uh, you know, series against, you know, the Boston Celtics and everything like that. We didn't advance, but, you know, like, like you said, and, you know, many other people who followed us that year, that was probably one of the best, you know, first round, um, first round, you know, series in history. You know, I still watch it until this day and um, get goosebumps just watching and, you know, um, remembering some of those times and a lot of those overtime games and just how intense the atmosphere was in Boston and in Chicago. 
Yeah, I mean, four different games in that series go into overtime. We got a few three overtime games, and we'll get into to that series uh, sort of towards the end of the episode. But now into the offseason, so going into, into the season, you guys are sitting at the number eight spot in the draft lottery. Usually in history, when you're that far, you're not going to creep up that far. But mm-hmm. lo and behold, you guys end up with the number one pick. Were you watching that lottery or, you know, do you remember where you were? Were you not even watching because, you know, you figured you would have seventh, eighth, ninth pick? I don't remember particularly watching that lottery, but I do remember when, you know, I heard it was going to be, you know, number one pick. Kind of knew that, you know, we were probably going to get Derrick Rose, you know, um, him being a hometown, uh, you know, native and, um, just the upside he had coming out of college, coming out of Memphis. And, um, and I was definitely excited about that, you know. So that was a that was a good look, man, having him coming in. That was actually my last year with the Bulls, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, getting to play that my final season with him. It helped me go out kind of with a bang. And, um, you know, he was just such a, a mature and uh, guy that was ready for the spotlight, you know, early on. Take me through just – that first few practices training camp with D Rose, you also have a young Joe Noah. Could you tell sort of right away when you're watching Derek Rose that this dude's different and he's going to be sort of the real deal? Yeah. I just never seen anybody move quite like him. You know, he was like, you know, he, he was just super explosive, like super athletic. And he had a great feel for the game at an early stage. You could tell that, you know, he grew up around some old heads or, you know, I don't know if it was older brothers or whatever that were, like, teaching him the game. You could tell he was a student of the game. And um, I loved him because he would always encourage me to shoot. You know, sometimes you got a young kid coming in and you don't know if, um, you know, because they're a star kind of in the making, if they're going to, you know, um, try to, you know, just be a little bit more aggressive or, you know, look for their own shot first. But as a true point guard that he always was, he would always, you know, if I was having an off shoot and I encouraged me, hey, BG, keep shooting. And we had a great chemistry, even though it was like, you know, um, our only year playing together. I think because him being from Chicago, he had watched a lot of my games, you know, growing up there. And um, he already knew my game, you know, so that helped me tremendously to build chemistry with him early on. And um, it was great. One thing that was weird, though, was like, he came in the league with like a reputation reputation of like not like a great jump shooter, but like every practice that we had, he was always knocking down jump shots. So it was something that he was always working on. He was always a hard worker and he always put that work in. And um, he didn't really get recognition for his jump shot, you know, um, you know, you know, a couple of years later, but he always had a, a nice shooting touch probably picked up some things from you one of the one of the best shooters of that time period. Yeah, floater too he had a nice mean floater too so i take a little bit of credit for that i think he probably watched mine you know years before but you know he was he was you know a great player right away right away and he he really takes the lead by by storm i want to just go through the roster quickly something that we do with our guests is i'm just going to say the player and say the first word phrase story that comes to mind when you hear the name. I actually want to start with you. Um, what 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 comes to mind when you just think of yourself in Chicago in your last year? Uh, what what do you remember from that time from from yourself? I would say clutch. 
You know, yes, sir. <laughs> I was uh, I was relied upon a lot for my scoring and my shooting ability to just make big plays, you know. Um, and uh, that was pretty much since day one. You know, I didn't start right away, but you know, I always was relied upon for my tough shot making ability and, you know, shooting under pressure and things like that. I didn't mind missing, you know, at the end of games and. I would just say clutch, man, because that was like a responsibility that um, you know, kind of fell in my lap. And I was, you know, more than ready to more than ready to, um, you know, take on that that uh, that role. That that playoff series, again, we'll get into it, but I couldn't even count there. Some someone on YouTube put a full hour just like game by game highlights. And there's got to be like 10, 12 shots. I remember there was even one time where the announcers like, what is he doing? It was like oh, one yeah, of those yeah. like, like off balance shots, but they yeah. just, they just went in that whole series has those shots. So moving on to the roster, let's go with Luol Deng, a fellow uh, Brit. Luol Deng was, uh, when I think about Luol Deng, I think about consistency. Um, he was just like an Iron Man, you know, like this dude, you always knew exactly what you were going to get from the wall. You know, um, you knew you were going to get someone who slashed to the rim when you might need somebody to bail you out and you didn't really have any offense. You knew he was going to be, he, he was going to knock down that, you know, that mid-range jump shot consistently. You knew he was always going to def, def, uh, guard the other team's best players. And um, he was going to rebound and play team basketball. So, when I, when I think of Luol, the first thing that pops on my mind is just the, his ability to be consistent, you know, night in and night out. People talk a lot about how the Celtics didn't have KG in that playoff series, but you guys also didn't have Luol, who right. was sort of your rock, and that's probably the guy that matches up against Paul Pierce, who had some big moments then. Mm -hmm. Then uh, let's talk Joe Kim Noah, sort of one of the – I'm curious to hear what he was like I think this was his or this was his second year. Was he the same sort of just like crazy talking all the time in practice? What was what was a young Joe Kim he was like? Just, yo, he was great to be around, man. Like his spirit and his energy mm -hmm. um, on the court and practice every day. He always had a lot of enthusiasm. He was always really uh, read, uh, willing and ready to work. Um, and he, you know he had a he had a, a good mix of like tenacity and he also kept things light with his humor you know like mm -hmm. joe was a really you know like kind of like a not you know like a silly like goofy dude in a good way um and like i said he was able to counter that with his tenacity and how hard he played when he was on the on the court you know so whatever you know like you know joking around or whatever when it was time to be serious um joe kim was you know consummate professional and he was just he was kind of like one of our anchors, you know, like, and we, you know, we won a lot of games because of him. Mm -hmm. Then talk to us about Tyrus Thomas, the guy that stepped up big for you guys a lot. And you know, this was sort of when he was at his peak. Tyrus, man, um, he was one of the most athletic uh, bigs I played with. You know, um, he had a unique skill set. Um, he would get into trouble sometimes because he had other skills. He could do some things. He was a decent passer. He had a decent handle for a four-man. But um, when he was most effective was when he was running the floor, catching lobs, blocking shots, um, making a simple play. 
you know, um, Tyrus was a huge asset for us, man, because the way we played defense, um, it was, it was, uh, we, we played team defense, you know, so we had a thing where if you were able to cover your man, you know, for three slides or two slides, you know, everybody was on a string, you know, and Tyrus was a huge component to our defense with his length and um, just his ability that his ability to, you know, clean things up at the rim. And, um, you know, he had a lot of attitude with him too. So that, that um, a lot of attitude and feistiness, you know what I'm saying? So that thing, that that just kind of he fit the, the 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 mold the team was made under, you know, and um, he really embodied like the energy of the town. Mm-hmm. And so it was great playing with him too. Mm-hmm. Then going into just sort of the league, I'm curious to hear as one of the best scoring two guards in the league. First, sort of looking around the league when you're on defense, who are the guys that you that you had the most trouble with? you know, when you were on defense? Because that was, that was a great era of shooting guards, right? Obviously, you got Kobe, you got Brandon yeah. Roy, Ray Allen. Who were the guys that, when you were on the defensive end, you had to really lock in and, and, and put your full effort there? The toughest guy for me to guard, there was a couple of them, but I would have to probably say D-Wade, you know, because Kobe too, obviously. But D-Wade was like 6'4". And so I would guard him a little bit more often than I guarded Kobe. Normally when we played Kobe, that was like somebody else. But I got a chance to guard D-Wade a lot more. He was the toughest by far because mm-hmm. he played way bigger than the size. He was crafty. He was shifty. He was, you know, strong as a knot, you know, super athletic. And then another guy, too, was Chauncey, man, because um he would always do a good job of, like, drawing like two fouls on me early in the game to try to, you know, get me in foul trouble and put me on the bench and things like that to neutralize me um, because they knew, you know, my offensive ability and everything like that. But, uh, you know, Baron Davis, you know, there's so many guys, man. But, you know, those those three kind of stick out to me. Um, D-Wade, Chauncey, and BD, those are some of the toughest guys to guard. Shout out to BD. We had him on a few weeks ago. Uh, who who are the guys then on the defensive end when they were matched up against you that that you respected the most uh, as a defender? Um, number one, I would say Tony Allen. You know what I'm saying like he was, you know, he was uh, he was the best defensive player I had seen, and um, like my battles with Tony kind of started before our NBA careers. You know, getting drafted here to Chicago. And then Tony being from Chicago, I would see him a lot at like pickup and stuff like that in the city. And um, just from how he would compete in the summers, man, just playing pickup, I knew like, oh man, like this dude is, is, is a nightmare. So I always had the utmost respect for him as a defender. And I knew I had to bring my A game, you know, whenever I seen him, but he was probably the toughest hands down. Mm. So then just getting into the season, you guys go 41 and 41. You're the seventh seed and you're drawn the Celtics. And that is without Kevin Garnett. Is there like a sigh of relief when, you know, you see Kevin Garnett is out for that, that entire series, reign defense player of the year. I mean, we could go on about KG's accolades, but is that even mentioned sort of in the locker room or is it just like zero in doesn't matter who's out there? Well, you know, being a pro, you know that when somebody's out, 
you know, there's, there's an opportunity for somebody that's not playing a lot to kind of step up, you know. So obviously they didn't have anybody who could really, you know, do what KG did, but there were some other key players that they had that, you know, they got a little bit more minutes and they stepped up. And, um, we, you know, they were a formidable opponent, so we didn't take them for granted, even though KG was out. But it was like a little bit of a sigh of relief because we didn't have Blue Wall, so we weren't full strength ourselves. But, um, you know, they were still a really good team, and it went down, you know, all the way to the wire. And they ended up beating us, I think, on their home court um, game seven. But um, we knew they weren't in a slouch, you know, even though they didn't have KG, and we knew we had our work cut out for us. I want to go into just the series as a whole after watching through it and sort of seeing what 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 I saw and then sort of go game by game. So just at first, the first thing that I noticed was your huge shots. But then the next thing was just that battle between Derrick Rose and Rondo. Derrick Rose is the rookie. Yeah. And then this is when I think Rondo really picks up that slack when KG is out. Uh, people sort of forget how good and how unique his his game was. Obviously, mm-hmm. he was never never a shooter, but when I think of quarterbacks as as point guards, he's probably number one. What did you see yeah. just from that battle of Derek and, and Rondo? Man, I saw two guys that were competing at the highest level. You know, um, Rondo was just like, you know, he was a stat stuffer all the way back then, man. He would, you know, do everything. You know, he was a floor general. He would get to all the 50-50 balls. You know, even though he couldn't shoot that well, he would find ways to score in transition and still attack your defense. Um, and you just saw a young Derrick Rose really rise to the, to the challenge. And um, even though, you know, D. Rose had all the, you know, maybe some more physical gifts than Rondo, you've seen Rondo really making him work, you know, mentally to, to keep up with him and have some big games itself. So um, that was like a, a really good matchup to watch, you know, I'm seeing the young, young D Rose and then, you know, Rondo who has some more experience, but, you know, I think D Rose held his own, man. You know, he did a great job competing with him. Um, but it was like, yeah, they were, they were at each other's throats, man, the whole series. For real. And, and, and D- yeah, yeah. And as a rookie too, D Rose, I, I went back and looked and, he averaged 19, six and six in that series in the playoffs. If you go back in history of rookies averaging 19 and six assists in the playoffs, it's only him, Michael Jordan and Stefan Marbury and Marbury and MJ played less games than, than him. They played like three and five games. So that just, whenever you're on a list with, with Michael Jordan, there's three people you're doing something right. The next thing, the next thing that I noticed that, you know, you had to deal with was just, how miserable it looked to guard Ray Allen in a playoff series. Like, you know, I, I would think that as a defender, guarding someone on ball is one thing, but that dude just doesn't stop moving. You're running into like Glenn Davis and Kendrick Perkins screens. What was that? Yeah. What was that like? It was just like a track meet, man. And um, it was tough because that was my game too. I used to run and, you know, and play off the ball a lot as well. So it was just no relaxing, man. It was it was like, you know, after I did my running around and to get to my shot, I knew I had to come down on the other end and chase Ray, you know. Um, and like you said, running around, trying not to run into big, big baby, trying not to run into Perk. You know, these guys is making their money and they're earning off of setting solid screens. And 
setting some illegal screens, you know. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it was just tough, man. And um, but it was fun. It was fun as hell. Um, it was like the first time playing against somebody where like I might run off like three or however many baskets in a row. And then on the other end, he's like matching every time I make a shot, he makes a shot. So I'm just like, yo, like normally I'm the guy who has an upper hand. And, you know, when I get into these hot streaks, I kind of, you know, neutralize my defender. But it was it was fun, man. But it was it was so tough, you know, running, chasing uh, Ray. And then he, you know, Ray's like six, six. So, you yep. know, trying to, you know, get a maximum you know, jump every time the contested shots, it was just tough. But, you know, I learned a lot from that series. And, you know, we didn't really talk much during the series. But at the end, you know, I remember, um, like, you know, him embracing me and, and, and saying some kind words to me, whatever. And um, I just remember being salty, man, that we lost that series because we were so close. Mm-hmm. You guys go, I mean, you're both UConn guys. Is there mm-hmm. is there any history there? Did you know him before? Yeah, Ray, he um he actually came up to UConn in the summers and you know he would play pickup with the guys and stuff like that. And so um anytime as you know, I remember being on campus in the summers and anytime guys would come back, guys like uh well Vin didn't play at UConn, but he would come back. I think he was uh, he was in Connecticut around that time or like close by. I don't know if he was playing with Boston. But um Ray would come up and um I just remember always, you know, anytime I got a chance to play against him, trying to go at him and, you know, um, kind of measure myself against him. So it kind of gave me that feel of, you know, maybe if I got a couple moves off of him over, you know, in the summertime, you know, while I was at UConn and he was in the pros, I had a little bit of confidence in the storage, you know, just, just remembering some of those moments. And um, I wanted to go out there and I had so much respect for him. But I wanted to compete at a high level and, um, you know, give him a run for his money. So it was definitely, definitely a great um, experience, like getting to go up against Ray, especially him being an alum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's back and forth between you guys. Then to just get into the series sort of one game at a time. So game one, sort of right off the bat, you guys are on the road and you beat them. Uh, that's an overtime game. D Rose has 36 and 11. You have 20, but really come alive late. What's the what's the feeling and sort of going into Boston, the number two seed and beating them on their home floor game one? What's what's that sort of like after? And and does that change the mindset at all in the locker room? Well, we did what we wanted to do. We wanted to go in and um, you know get a game. And um, it was just it was amazing, man, like seeing the, the energy and the way that D Rose came out and he led us. You know, having 36, I just remember thinking like, yo, this kid is really big time. You know what I'm saying? Like, his sky's the limit. Um, so it, it was dope, man. And um, that was kind of like the, probably one of the first times where, like, I really re- – like, that was the game where I really realized, like, okay, like, you know, he's the future. You know, like, he came out and he led us. I think he, led, he may have led all scorers on that game. And, you know, it, it was just, it was just dope, man. Like starting off like that. And, um, you know, we definitely, we didn't get ahead of ourselves. I didn't get ahead of ourselves, but I kind of sensed that the younger guys were, you know, I don't want to say they thought we had it in the bag, but, you know, they, I don't think they really knew 
what an NBA playoff series is like and how, like, you know, you have to stay even killed, you know, no matter what's going on. But, um, yeah, man, it was, it was a great experience um, starting the series off that way. And I think we ended up losing the second game or something like that. But Yeah, you guys um, – yeah, you guys lose the second game, but that's when you put up 42, which right. I which I believe playoff career high. Is that the yeah, best you – is that the best you've ever played in a loss? Um, Yeah, that was definitely the best I've ever played in a playoff loss. Um, so it was bittersweet. You know, um, I, I, you know I, I, I wanted to come out and be aggressive, you know, especially after coming off of uh, – you know, that win we had the first game, and, um, you know, I thought I did my job. You know, maybe we could have got, you know, some other people involved a little bit more and given ourselves a better chance. But, you know, that was my job to come out, be aggressive, you know, look for my offense and uh, shoot the ball and, and you know, score for us. So, um, you know, that, that kind of set everything back. Like, okay, like, you know, we came out, we got one on the road. Now we got to figure out you know, how to go home and try to get, you know, the next couple of games. Mm-hmm. Then game three, you guys sort of get, get smacked on your own floor. And then game four is the first three overtime game. What is it like just in the playoffs, like in a, in a three overtime game? I'm not sure how many times in history it's happened, but it can't be too many. Like, is it just like, damn, like, like, like something's just got to break because if you watch that series, like every single shot, desperation shot that goes up, goes in. Doesn't matter if it's you, Ray Allen, like even Glenn Davis is hitting shots. It just seems like you guys for most of the series were within two to three points of each other the whole time. So what's, what's a three overtime playoff game like? It just was never ending, man. And, you know, you thought that you would be exhausted, but because it was just like every single possession counted and you couldn't really rest, you couldn't really catch your breath. Um, it was probably like the most focused and locked in you know, I'd ever been in any game. And, um, you know, getting those five minute overtimes and getting another five minutes to, to go out there and, and try and secure the game. You felt like you had no energy, but then at the same time, it's like, damn, I, I can't let Ray get this open shot right here. I got to, you know, sprint mm-hmm. as hard as I can. You know, um, I got to communicate with Joe Kim and Tyrus to, you know, help me if I need the help. Um, you know, so you're just completely locked in and it's like you're running on fumes, drinking Red Bulls, doing everything you can on the bench. You know, um, got your hot packs, you know, trying to stay loose. Um, so it's just it's just a, a test of. You know your mental fortitude and you know we train hard all year round but it's like really a more of a mental battle than anything and you're trying not to give up anything to your opponent and um, that was like you know the best experience you know um, that that uh going into those overtimes you know it was exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time mm-hmm. game five another overtime loss you hit mm-hmm. countless big shots that's when we said you know, you hit that shot when the announcer says, what is he doing? But yeah. you guys go ahead at the end of the fourth. Um, and then game six is another three overtime game highlighted by John Salmons, who scores 35 points. And he comes over this year in a trade from Sacramento. What what was he like sort of as a vet? What what, is you, what do you remember from John Salmons? Yeah, you know, I'm John Salmons, I played against John in college when he was at Miami. So, um, 
you know, he was always just a, a quiet assassin, man. He um he fit into our team really well, especially not having Luol, um for that series. Um, so, you know, the way John was able to get to the rim, you know, create his own offense, um, knock down, um, you know, spot up jumpers and things of that nature. And he had that hezzy pull that he would always rock guys to sleep with. It was just, for me and Derek, man, it was like, you, you know, we, we needed that offense from the perimeter, like I said, because we didn't have the wall. And John was like, you know, a big part of our success that year and a part of our offense. And, you know, he was one of my favorite teammates because he just came every night to play. Um, he didn't complain. You know, um, he made the best out of whatever opportunities he was getting on the offensive end. And he was a solid competitor and defender as well. So mm. it was great playing with John and, and seeing him explode during that game because we really needed that offense, man. Mm-hmm. Especially with Paul on the other end, um, Rondo and those guys, you know, um, and all the scoring they had. So it was great to, you know, have John out there that could take the pressure off uh, of the guys on our team offensively. Mm-hmm. So you guys sort of, you stay alive game six, but then game seven, they end up winning by 10 to move on. Um, and then, so that's that's the last last game that you play as a bull. Can you walk right. us through just what happens with that off se- in that offseason? I was doing some reading and I saw that, I don't believe Chicago even offered you. Um, you, end up, you end up going to Detroit, getting paid. Mm-hmm. But um, just walk us through, like, what's going through your mind in, in that whole situation uh, going into free agency and ended up in Detroit? Well, it really kind of started the year, you know, bef- like, you know, yeah. right in the preseason. It was, you know, the summer before we having, you know, tough bottom negotiations. Things just reached a stalemate. So I kind of knew, like, okay, this could possibly be, a, you know, your last year in Chicago. So just, if it is, you know, go out there and, you know, make it your best year. Um, I really wanted to come back to Chicago, but it was just, it was weird, man. It was like, I remember before the season started, I signed a qualifying offer. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember speaking to um, people in the front office and they were just, you know, I, you didn't, you know, you didn't really get what you thought you were worth this year. The worst thing you could do is come out and, you know, not be a professional and, you know, kind of complain and moan. And I was like, well, that's the furthest thing from what I, you know, plan on doing. I want to come out, have a great year, you know, um, represent the Bulls and myself as best as I can. And then we'll come back to the table next year and see, you know, what's what. But then um, I remember that next offseason, I think the only team, I think the only teams that really had like cap room, I think was Detroit and um, Toronto. And um, so it was just kind of odd, like having like, you know, after the season is over, being in the city and, you know, people really like championing us, even though we didn't make it out the first round. We just I just felt like I was definitely going to be back, you know, the next year. But then um, in July, it was just quiet, man. I just remember only hearing from Detroit. I remember not hearing from Chicago and I thought it was really odd that. You know, it would end like that. You know, not even like a call, like, hey, Ben, you know, you know, we don't have cap room or whatever the case may be. But um, I got that call from Detroit. They were interested from the jump. That was like my only deal on the table. 
A lot of people thought I had a deal from Chicago on the table. I didn't. You know, so I went to Detroit. Um, situation was a little uncertain, but, you know, I liked the talent they had. And, um, and I, you know, obviously watching Joe Dumars and being a fan of his as a kid and, you know, as a pro, you know, it was, it was a no-brainer for me, you know, to go there and, um, you know, start the second chapter of my career. But I always wanted to, you know, I always thought I would spend more time in Chicago, especially after having that first season with D. Rose. I thought there was a lot for us to build on. Um, I think we're probably like one of the, we're not probably, we're one of the most dangerous backcourts in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was bittersweet, you know, getting the chance to get paid and, um, you know, go somewhere else. But I just felt like the quality of the teams and things that I played in were always the best in Chicago. And, um, you know, so I, I definitely missed that, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you got sort of the tail end of that Pistons core because you're still you, they still got Rip and and Tayshon. Uh, they don't have Chauncey anymore, but from what I recall, there's a lot of injuries there. Like Rip gets injured, Tayshon, so you don't really have the full squad. Um, yeah, and I, and I guess just reflecting on your time in Chicago is 0809 in in your mind your best season. I think statistically, if you look at that season and then 0607, they're similar. But when you look back, what do you what do you think is your best year? I would say the uh, my third year, which I think was 0607, and then that 0809. Those are my two favorite years. I'll say I'll probably would say 0607 though, just because you know we made it to the second round of the playoffs. Um, we swept the Heat, who won the championship the year before. Um, so that was like, you know, dope. You know, um, you know, going down to Miami and, and you know, me and Luol, we really killed. Had like big series, you know. Um, so I think it's a toss up between those two seasons. Those are two of my favorite seasons, though. But I got to probably give the nod to the 06, 07, just because, you know, we made it to the second round and, and that was huge for us as some young young guys. Hmm. You ever think about what what your game would be like if you got the chance to play sort of today, shooting like 15 threes a game? Oh my gosh, man. I was just in the gym and um I actually seen uh THT and uh, Kendrick Nunn in there working on you know those extended three pointers. And um I I was just sitting there thinking to myself, man, if I played in this era right now, it would be so much fun to just be able to shoot 23s or, you know, be able to pull from, you know, the logo. Even though I didn't really – I don't think I had that kind of range, but I never really worked on it. You know, that wasn't like a thing back then. So um, I think about that often, man, how much more free free flowing the game is now and, you know – how much our leeway, you know, shooters and scorers had. So I think I would have probably went off, man, um, in this era for sure. Is range like God-given talent or do you work on it? Because we talked to to Matt Barnes. He was talking about Vince Carter, like just being able mm-hmm. to like sh- pull from half court, like without, right. without stepping. And you look at guys like Dame now. Is that strength, mm-hmm. God-given, you know, someone like you who's – I think it's – I think it's like a combination of – um. I would say it's strength, but it's also like your mechanics and like your release points. And there's so many different things that that play into it. Because you'll see some guys that, you know, don't look very strong, but they're able to, you know, get that ball off from distance 
And um, you know, I I I wasn't a guy who could pull from half court like that. I always wanted to, you know, take high percentage shots and try to give myself the best chance to make a shot. But um, you know, having that freedom now to extend your range and like not deal with um, you know, like that kind of eliminates some defensive pressure when you can pull, you know, on a guy when he's like five feet away from you. So um, I wish I would have had that as an option in my, you know, in my repertoire when I was playing. But I think it's a, it's a, I want to say it's a strength thing, but, you know, you see guys like Steph who aren't like super big or anything like that. And it's, it's his technique and his mechanics more than anything that I think, you know, allow him to, to shoot the ball that way. Hmm. And then just wrapping up, I, I know that you said you're in the gym, you watch the young guys. Is there anybody in today's league that reminds you of yourself? It's tough to say because the, the game is um is a little bit different. Um it's tough to say, man, if I if there's anybody that reminds me of myself right now. Um, I can definitely watch and I see like certain things that players do, and I can tell that they watch, they watch me, you know, like I can tell like know that there were some things that obviously Steph knows way better than I ever was, but I've heard him say, you know, certain things with his shot that he watched me. Um, you know, all those guys, man, they're all students of the game. You know, guys like Dame. Um, they're like guys who can play the one and the two. You know, I played mostly the two, but I had I was more of a combo guard. I think the guys that are combo guards now, they all have the ball in their hands a lot more. So I, it's hard for me to say um, if I see anybody now that's playing that reminds me. Who do you think? Anybody stick out to you? I was trying to look today. Like, you know, there, there's there's hints of people like, I think that you were the better player, but like someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., like oh, who's, he, 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 he's got the quick release, like doesn't matter if, if there's a hand in the face. I see some similarities there. Right. Um, but... I think like you said, like you were you're sort of a rare, a rare breed in that you weren't, you know, a six, five, six, six shooting guard that could really shoot on top of people, but mm-hmm. you also didn't need much room and you had sort of the the quick strap. So uh, yeah. I would have I would have loved to see what your game would have been like if if you were playing in a faster game, maybe, maybe extending your range. But uh, you know, we talked to Alex English and he said like what's beautiful about basketball is that no two players are the same. Uh, you can yeah. sort of you can sort of pick similarities from people, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it would have been great to see to see you and some other guys that played in that era be able to have the freedom to you know jack ten a game and not even think about it. Right. Um, right. But but anyways, we appreciate you for coming on BG. This was uh, definitely a memorable season. Again, that that playoff series alone makes makes it makes it significant. So yeah, I'll just give it to you. Th- you know, thank you. Any any last words you got from from just reflecting on this season? Um, it was a great season. Like I said, it was my last year um, with the Bulls. It was a it was a very uh, like pressure filled season because I remember I signed that qualifying offer, and um, you know I could have gotten could have gotten hurt, or you know, like you see a situation. That just happened with um, uh, Dennis Schroeder, where you know he turned some money down, and now he's playing for a lesser contract. So I was kind of like in a situation like that, 
you know, where I had to kind of bet on myself and um, it ended up paying off. You know, um, I got a, a, a contract in Detroit. Um, my years there weren't so successful, but, you know, our window as athletes is, you know, it's short, you know, so I was, I was happy that I was able to go out and, uh, you know, have a, have a great season on the way out for my fans in Chicago and all the people who, you know, still rock with me today. I always wanted to be in Chicago a little bit more, but, um, you know, that was, that was the best I could do, you know, so, yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me on the show, man. No, we, we, we appreciate you and, uh, take care. Be well. Appreciate you, man. All right, man. You as well, man. Take care. Well, that was the show, guys. Thank you for tapping in. I love Ben Gordon. I come from Connecticut. He was a a UConn legend before these days with the Bulls and just one of the forgotten guys that always gets brought up on the Instagram page. So tough would be even better in this open era. You can find more forgotten seasons on Instagram and Twitter and be sure to check out our YouTube page. We're pushing a lot of new content over there. Also, be sure to visit truthplusmedia.com for more in-depth looks at these amazing stories from NBA history. Be sure to stay tuned. We got more on the way. And until next time, be good.